It's Bad History. Hey guys, welcome back to a brand new episode of Bad History. Bad History. My name's Steven, and I am joined this week, like every other week, with my best friend, esteemed colleague, and dietary nutritionist, who is supporting my endeavors in a solely cake-based diet. It's sweeping the nation, Steven. Uh, apparently. That's what you're telling me, anyway. I have yet to see the effects of it. I mean, I have seen effects of it, but not positive ones. I call it the type 2 diet. <laughs> Your toes will start falling asleep soon. That's... <laughs> That's Dave! It's Dave. Uh, it's Dave. <laughs> it's Dave. Uh, this week is episode 31 of Bad History. We're in the dirty 30s. The dirty 30s. Which is crazy. Uh, but we are talking about small nations, small towns, small cities that have made a big impact on the global stage. Uh, and it should be a good one. We've been, we talked about this. We dropped this bombshell like two weeks ago, didn't we? Uh, it was a long time It ago. feels like a way long time ago. Last week, we released a History Hangouts episode. It was the first one in a while. Uh, Dave and I got a chance to be in the same city, and we quickly recorded a History Hangouts and uh, it was it was an interesting one. It was awful. It wasn't awful. It was different. I apologize for it. <laughs> it wasn't awful. It was. We different. couldn't even think of we couldn't <laughs> even think of a good intro. No, I couldn't think of a good in- intro for that. Usually, I do like a super funny kind of like. I was like, Stephen, you should just play zippity doo And he was like, Dave, we can't just play zippity doo Disney will sue us. Also, it's the most racist fucking thing Oh, ever. dude, <laughs> Disney has, like, the freaking itchiest trigger finger when it comes to, like, uh, when it comes to copyright stuff. Dude, I know. I'm going into that. That's the work yeah. I'm going into, dude. Yeah. You're, he, Dave's getting into uh, copyright law solely to defend this podcast when, not if it happens, but when it gets sued. Do you think we paid for the rights for our theme music? Right, yeah. We didn't. Season one. Season one, I did. Totally stolen. I did. I, pay, I paid my 99 cents to get that from, from, from the uh, fair use thing, CD from iTunes. The fucking free music for all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Link my SoundCloud, bruh. <laughs> Dave, before we get into the history, I gotta know, you gotta tell me, how's your week been, man? Dude, I started out in Indiana this week, then I was in Charleston, then I was in North Carolina, and then I went back to Indiana, and then I did shit. It's been a fucking busy one, dude. Yeah. I uh, I told you I went to a Fry's Electronics for the first time, and holy shit, I recommend that fucking thing. Also, um, I started law school this week. You so did? I did start law school this week. It's not so quite as big I... of a deal as going to a Fry's Electronics. No, but... dude, it's not even close. I don't know how I have time to record this podcast right now, by the way, because I can get that homework coming in. But that's enough Enough about me. Steven, I gotta know. This week, did you watch any good movies? Did you play any good video games? Did you read any good books? Did you do anything fun? Did you see any cool things? I, I see lots of cool things every day because that's just that's just who I am as a person. I like to see the little things in life and take appreciation for them. Uh, so you didn't do anything this week. We might as well just start. No, I no. <laughs> I uh, I actually I started like my big boy job this week. 
Uh, teachers went back on Wednesday to full time, so uh, we're recording this on Thursday, and that's why I've been this is day two of being an actual teacher. Kids come back he's, next week. He's teaching your children, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, be afraid. Yeah. This man doesn't know how to read. Oh come on, come on! He doesn't know how to come read. On. Come on! Have you ever watched him type something into a search bar? Why? Why would they? Because you're still doing. They say, they say he's still doing it to this day. Stephen is the type of person to uh, type Google.com into the Google search bar. I think that happened and once. I think that happened that- once. <laughs> But also, he he would write it like goggle or something spelled wrong. All right, enough. Anyway. Enough of my computer illiteracy. Let's start with the history, shall we? Let's get, play the fucking music. Play the music. Okay, Stephen. Yes, Dave. So, talking on the topic of small but mighty, or small but significant, I guess. Um. Mine's kind of an obvious one. I am talking uh, this week about the Falkland Islands. Ooh, very Ooh, cool. Island in the sun. Okay, so the Falkland Islands. Uh, no, we're not going to move past that quite yet. Oh. <laughs> was that... Were you, that was did the you, Falkland Islands did, introduction. No, did you mean to sing Island in the Sun by Weezer and you just kind of... No, uh-huh. I didn't. There was a wave crashing, and uh, then it was a it was an island girl with like the coconut bra and uh, like the, yeah. the grass skirt, and she was like, "Island in the sun." Uh, That's how it went. Okay, okay. So the Falkland Islands, or the Isla Malvina, are there as they're known in some somewhere. <laughs> uh, there are a series of islands in the South Atlantic Ocean. Approximately 300 miles off the South American coast. Um, uh, uh, off of what, off of like what country? Like Argentina. Ah, okay. Uh, it has a population currently of about 3,000 people. Uh, it has an area of about 4,700 square miles. So it's not a big populated place. Its capital is called Stanley. <laughs> And it is the scene of an international incident that led to a war between the United Kingdom and Argentina. Let's get down to brass tacks. The invasion. On April 2nd, 1982, Argentina invaded the Falkland Islands. This was called Operation Rosario. So during the night of April 1st, 1982, so like the darkness between the two days... Uh, there was a nighttime invasion. Wait, I'm with- sorry. Did you just explain to me what the night was? What nighttime was? <laughs> okay, so like the official invasion invasion date is April second, but it like started in like the wee hours. You know what I mean? Yeah, I got that. So <laughs> the nighttime <laughs> between the two, the darkness between the two days. What you know the fuck? Where the sun ain't around. <laughs> that shit. <laughs> Technically, there's two night times to a day. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, but only one daytime. So, there was a nighttime invasion of the Falklands um, with amphibious landings. So, like, boats that uh, can get out and crawl on the ground. 
they they took the governor's house, uh, which was in Stanley, and the airport. Um, and there were only three airstrips in the entire Falkland Islands, and the big like good one was in Stanley. Um, the radio operator in the Falkland Islands got a message out to London quickly as the uh, like house was being taken over, and he said, "You can't argue with thousands of troops plus enormous navy support." when you're only 1800 strong so argentina was like i'm gonna take this and let me tell you why because it seems like a out of nowhere sort of act of aggression right right it doesn't make sense that like two sovereign countries that are decently modern as late as the 1980s would just fucking have war so here is the why Argentina has claimed sovereignty of the Falklands, uh, which contradicted the British's claims since 1841, which is when it became a crown colony. So Argentina had a military junta running the country since 1976. And this is like, uh, you know, a military dictatorship. Uh, It was economically devastated due to stagnation, and the people at the time were really, like, hating on this military junta. And uh, when the military dictatorship changed hands in 1981, uh, the Argentinians were like, fuck, people are mad, they're not enjoying this shit, economy-wise, we need to do something to get the hype going. So in order to draw attention away from their own troubles, they pushed to invade the Falklands to spread, like, nationalism, right? Mm. They were like, oh, these are these islands that we've always said were ours, but the British just, like, have control over them. Let's take it back. And the people were, like, super excited. And they, they got a little bit of, you know, hype going. They were all super excited. They were proud to be Argentinians again. Um, and as a response, the UN Security Council passed Resolution 502, uh, demanding an immediate withdrawal from the Falkland Islands. So the reason the Argentinians did this is because they thought the Falklands weren't, like, a big deal. And uh, they were like, oh, we'll just do this. But there's no way that, you know, the British are going to send military to to deal with this, right? It's just right. too far away. If you look on a map, it's way the fuck far away. And, like, they just don't care enough. Um, so the UN Security Council met and said that in Resolution 502 that the two needed to reach a diplomatic solution. But instead, the British decided to ready the warships and go to full-on war against Argentina over the Falklands. So, the Falklands crisis, or the Falklands incident, uh, it's not technically a war, although we refer to it as the Falklands War, because Argentina and Britain never formally declared war on each other, but they both declared the Falklands Islands a war zone. So it's some weird, like, political red tape to keep from actual war happening, right? Right. So Britain enacted Operation Corporate. And this was a series of military operations led by Admiral Sir John Fieldhouse from the 2nd of April, 1982, to the 20th of June in that same year. Uh, The submarines HMS Splendid and HMS Spartan were already in the area, and the HMS Endurance and RFA Fort Austin were dispatched in the area. Uh, Also, uh, HMS Superb, like Her Majesty's service, uh, Superb was a nuclear-equipped submarine uh, 
that was stationed somewhere else in the Mediterranean, but it was reported that it was heading south um, just to, like, you know, people were like, oh, shit, this thing's going. It's We don't know where it's going because it's, like, a super secret sub, but it's heading south. Uh, but its inclusion in the crisis is only speculatory as it never mm. showed up directly. And it's believed to be only a scare tactic by the British to, like, bring right. in nuclear weapons. Um, so that's actually, like, really fucking clever. Uh, but following the actual invasion, because these were boats that were just uh, kind of nearby or not doing anything, but following the invasion, the British mobilized a task force, including an entire naval fleet, uh, including the HMS Hermes flagship. Um, it actually made the cover of the April 19th, 1982 edition of Newsweek magazine, uh, with the picture of the HMS Hermes and the title "The Empire Strikes Back," that's so awesome. Star Wars reference. It's actually a really cool cover. Um, the whole task force comprised 127 warships and 42 aircraft. Uh, so the British were very fucking serious about this little thing. A war cabinet was set up by Margaret Thatcher herself, in which she dominated discussion. And this is kind of like. One of the things that Margaret Thatcher is really famous for is sort of taking control in the Falklands. Um, so they fucking mobilized, right? The Argentinians were like, don't worry. They're, we're going to just like parley for this land. It's not going to be a big deal, and we're going to look victorious in the end. But the British fucking went to war. They got all their shit going, and fucking battles ensued. Uh, a major one is known as Operation Black Buck, which is the first sort of attempts to clear the Falkland Islands of, uh, like, Argentinian support. So a British Vulcan bomber uh, would drop bombs on the runway in Stanley. Uh, the problem with this was is that the bomber had to leave from Ascension, which is an island nation in the middle of the Atlantic near Africa. And this was an 8,000-mile round trip. This Jesus. was the closest spot that the bomber could leave from. Um, and it was actually deemed successful, Operation Black Buck, as it prevented the Argentinian government from placing aircraft on the island stationary, uh, just like to defend against the Navy. But it was a very slow process and used a lot of resources, actually all the resources on Ascension, and they only did it like three times. So what this accomplished, though, uh, was that the Argentinians were forced to fight, like, from the mainland of Argentina, mm -hmm. uh, which means that nobody was like, you know, I said it was about 300 miles off the coast of Argentina. So if you're launching planes from 300 miles away, it's not a good look. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, for sure. And the same thing is happening to the British at this point. Um, so what really ensued are a series of small air force battles between the British in Sea Harriers against the Argentine Mirage 3 fighter jets. And these battles were mostly just them flying around each other, just flexing nuts, but not actually, like, <laughs> shooting each other down. There's actually only two reports of ships being, uh, like, downed. Wow. Despite, like, having a fuck ton of, sh of planes there and stuff. Uh, the war continued really slowly, and it was mostly air to navy and battleship fights. Um, the ARA General Belgrano, which was in the Argentinian Navy, and the HMS Sheffield were sunken battleships 
Uh, so, like, actual fucking damage was done. But it wasn't, like, on a scale of anything remotely similar to, like, a war. Do right. you know what I mean? For sure. Um, there was this event called the Battle of Goose Gen, which is the first major ground battle. The British won. There weren't, a, like, okay, so it's a ground battle where you're, like, shooting at each other. 17 British in 47 Argentine soldiers were killed. So, mm-hmm. like, people are dying. This is real fighting. Yeah. But those numbers, you know, they, they kind of betray the severity of this this war, right? Right. Well, 17 and, and 47. In any other and then, war, it would be like a, that would be like a skirmish. Yeah. It would be like right? skirmish like that, numbers. And then at the end of the battle, uh, 961 Argentinian soldiers were taken prisoner. Um, so the British were really doing work here. I guess the Argentinians just weren't ready for the response. Um, and then on the 11th of June, Stanley fell. The British launched a brigade night attack, and a ceasefire was declared on the 14th of June, where Brigade General Mario Mendez surrendered to Major General Jeremy Moore. So, the end of this thing. During the 74 days of conflict, uh, 649 Argentinian casualties uh, were taken, and 255 British casualties. Um, Also, three female Falkland Islanders were killed in the crossfire. So these aren't, like, crazy numbers. They're, like, for a war in the modern era. Yeah. These are, like, you know, they didn't do a lot of fighting. Yeah. Uh, but, but in the end, no one really won this fucking thing. So it was financially stressful for both militaries. Um, the British actually consider the campaign a success, and Margaret Thatcher's popularity sort of skyrocketed after this. Um, the British restored British citizenship to all the islanders in 1983. Uh, this was good for the island because they got more economic attention from the British and were allowed to adopt more self-government. And then in 1985, they uh, kind of sort of became self-governed. Um, in 1983, the general election returned Argentina to a democratic government so obviously the people weren't so happy about this bungled sort of invasion um just a few notes the falklands war is the largest air naval combat operation between modern forces since world war ii wow um it was actually caused entirely because one government wanted to bolster its failing popularity however in the end it boosted a different government's falling popularity because before the Falklands War, Margaret Thatcher and the Conservative Party were sort of like not very popular in Britain. But then this sort of like victory, this they won a war, it really exploded her popularity yeah. uh, back in the British Isles. Um, however, it's not over. So in the newest Argentinian constitution... Uh, it still lays claim of sovereignty over the Falkland Islands. Oh, man. So, so Argentina still to this day has, you know, a tenuous political claim to the Falkland Islands. And um, it it's, it's so strange as to why. Um, but Argentine writer Jorge Luis Borges described this war perfectly he claimed it was a fight between two bald men over a comb 
and that really sums up how like this little island with like nobody on it in the middle of goddamn nowhere just happened to be a stage for this proxy war like between two superpowers at the time and uh both of them thought that it would be a way to boost their popularity back home and uh it ended up doing just that but like nothing was gained yeah like the falkland islands aren't you know bursting with natural resources or anything like that it was just a war to see who had a bigger dick. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a dick measuring contest. It's a dick it measuring is. contest. So that's that's the story of the Falklands Island War. Damn, good scrolls, man. I had heard of, heard of the Falkland War before, didn't really know anything about it. Uh, it's interesting. Um, just I, a bunch of bullshit. Just a bunch of bullshit. Uh, I think it really ties into the History Hangouts episode we did on imperialism. Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, where it was like there was no sort of economic benefit from the Falkland Islands, but they had to have it for some reason. They had to have it because they had always had it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and it's... Like, the British could have just been like, yeah, you take it, fine. But they were like, yo, what if we won a war right now yeah, yeah, in the yeah. middle of fucking nowhere? But then it's it's like, does does anybody really own the Falkland Islands? But the Falkland <laughs> Islanders, you know what I mean, man? Does anybody really own the Falkland Islands? Does anybody really own Stanley? Does anybody really live in Stanley? Moving on. Yeah, let's move it on. Let's uh, move it on. Let's do. You ready to hear uh, my story? Yeah, I want to play that music. Let's play that funky music. Do 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 do. All right, Dave. Yes. So my story is going to focus not on a country, but it's going to focus on a small town. Okay. Two small towns, actually. Oh, uh, my God. You just can't. You got to fucking break the rules. It's, I'm not breaking the rules. That, they, that, I, I, they, they tie into each other, I promise. It makes Are they sense. in the Middle Ages? No. No. <laughs> I promise. I promise. Not near. Not even near the Middle Ages. Okay. Okay. So, I want to talk about the time that the United States accidentally dropped an atomic bomb on their own city. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but before I do that, I want to do a little bit of background, a little bit of build up. Well, I want to fluff it up a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So the United States has had a really long and complicated history with nuclear weapons. So, since 1945, we've produced around 70,000 nuclear warheads, which is more than all other nuclear countries combined. So, take all the countries who have or who ever made or own nuclear weapons, and you add them all up, still not nearly as many as we have made in our uh, span of history. Oh, yeah. You hear that, fucking Olympic Committee? Come yep. to America. <laughs> Uh, in comparison, France has only built 1,100 nuclear warheads, and the United Kingdom oh. has only built 800 nuclear warheads. Only. Like, only. those would completely I fucking know. destroy the world. Exactly. Uh, but it's it's no secret that the reason for this is the arms race of the Cold War. And if you don't know, the arms race occurred because we were constantly trying to be scarier than the Soviet Union. And uh, while no one really wins an arms race like this, we certainly kind of did the better job of being scarier. 
We poured billions of dollars into being able to instantly bomb any major city in the Soviet Union. Boom. And uh, in, in, for a period of, of time in the 50s, we had a rotation of planes in the air 24-7 carrying nuclear bombs just USA. in case just in case we needed to drop one at some point dude that's what my dad did he was uh he was was on the nuclear subs yeah and they like had nukes on board and they would just like fucking be somewhere yeah and nobody knew where they were just in case somebody nuked us we could nuke them (laughs) exactly uh but this the the airs the airs the planes being in the air 24 7 did not last long because of kind of just how expensive and impractical it was instead we focused on building new technology to launch the bombs uh this actually led to a huge surge of missile development which helped the the missile development of nasa and things like that uh and the production of nuclear missile silos that we are familiar with today so we tend to think of nuclear missiles being held underground in these huge silos and that didn't happen until uh, and, and until a few, until until around like the sixties and seventies that we really kind of started to, to do that. But interestingly enough, the alternative to missile silos were trains that were constantly moving, carrying missiles, so that the USSR could not target them particularly. So it was either we're either going to have nuclear missiles constantly on trains moving around in areas that we were cool with. Or we were going to build underground nuclear missile silos, and the nuclear missile silos won out. Yeah, well, uh, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it makes a lot more sense. But uh, but get this shit. At its peak, the United States had thirty one thousand two hundred and fifty five nuclear warheads in stockpile. Fuck yes, thirty one thousand. Uh, That's a lot. In compare, yeah, it's a lot. Currently, currently, just to, in comparison, we have forty five hundred. Uh, which is still a shit ton, but we have a significant amount less than we did. During what did Cold we? War. What did we do with those? Did we just detonate them somewhere? No, quietly? no, 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 no. We 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 destroy. You can destroy them without detonating them. Uh, okay. Because we've only detonated, like like in uh, yeah, we've only detonated a little over a thousand nuclear missiles, which is still uh, again a shit ton of nuclear missiles. Yeah. Uh, but with all the nuclear bombs moving across the United States and the world, uh, law of large numbers kind of dictates that at some point there would be an accident. And there was, in fact, and there have been several, and I want to talk about two of them particularly today. So on March 11, 1958, two sisters, Helen and Frances, along with their cousin Ella, were playing outside near their house in Mars Hill, South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, good old South Carolina. If it was going to happen anywhere, yeah. it might as well be here. Exactly. To give you some idea of where Mars Hills is in South Carolina, unless in case you have some familiar with it, familiarity I don't with it, I fucking know where it, it is. It is near Florence, South Carolina. Oh, okay. So it's up kind of towards the, the, the northern, and when I say north, I mean actual northern, like towards the North Carolina border part of the so state. So nowhere important. It's nowhere big. It's very, very, very... Mars Hill, South Carolina is a very small town. But the nice South Carolina spring day that they were having took a drastic turn when their playhouse, located about 200 yards away from them, exploded. The explosion obliterated the playhouse, nearly destroyed their actual house, and damaged seven other nearby buildings. 
and left a 70-foot crater in the ground. Damn. The cause of this explosion was, you guessed it, a nuclear bomb. Fuck yes, the hills have eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a nuclear bomb that was thankfully missing its nuclear core. Um, So it didn't actually obviously detonate. All three girls were injured, as well as their parents and brother, but thankfully no one was actually killed. Uh, There were no casualties during this accident. Um, But the question stands, how did a nuclear bomb land on the quiet town of Mars Hill? And uh, if you guessed human incompetence, you would be correct. I mean, that's always the way I go. So earlier that day, a Boeing uh, B-47 left Savannah, Georgia on its way to the United Kingdom. They didn't need to bring a nuclear bomb with them, but they thought for but good... why the fuck yeah, not, dude? For good measure, let's just throw it in the plane just in case a nuclear war breaks out while, while they're in the air. Um, yeah, I see, bro. Which, which is interesting. This kind of gives good insight into like the mindset of the time period. Uh, the, the bomb that they brought with them was an MK-6 nuclear bomb. It oh, yeah. pretty much uh, the uh, the 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 fat boy nuclear bomb, uh, kind of the 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 big like you know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking yeah, about yeah, the, yeah. like the bulbous one, right? The bulbous one. Uh, that's pretty much what this looks like. It's more pow- powerful than that than the bombs dropped on Hir- Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but uh, pretty much the same look to it. Um, okay. Thankfully. The the the, P, the crew of the plane had the good sense to store the nuclear core, the actual super dangerous part of the bomb, outside outside and away from the bomb itself. It's just um, like on the fucking like like windowsill. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's chilling in the uh, the passenger seat. They got like a seatbelt oh on it. God. So this is uh, why the bomb actually fell out of the plane is is just fantastic it's a mystery bro yeah. no it's no we know why we know why. oh shit so while in the air over south carolina one of the crew members was asked to check on the locking a pin of the bomb so the component that was holding the uh the bomb into the plane there was some it was saying that the locking pin was actually not engaged on the bomb so the guy that was in charge of the actual bomb um went to go check it out and the bomb is obviously suspended, and it's very, very big. So the crewman went to pull himself up to get a better look at the bomb itself and accidentally grabbed the emergency release pin. Oh, my God. <laughs> so the bomb falls immediately to the floor of the plane, and the weight of the bomb caused the doors to open as, like, a safety precaution because there was, like, multiple tons of, like, pressure on it. Uh, so the bombing doors open, the bomb fell to the earth and found its new home on top of Helen and Francis's playhouse. Oh, yeah. So the, while the bomb itself was not carrying a nuclear core, it was still a, still a high-explosive bomb. So there are, there are still there's still explosives with, within the bomb itself to, to start the process of the explosion. Um, so this car caused a very large explosion. And, uh, and like I said, the damage was pretty significant. Uh, the Greg family, which is the, uh, the, the, the families whose house was almost destroyed, whose daughters were injured, um, sued the U.S. government and received $54,000 at the time, which is roughly half a million today. And interestingly enough, if you ever drive through Mars Hill, South Carolina, you can still view the massive crater that was left by the bomb, which is about the size of a pond. Um, but 
just make sure to ask the family for permission first that still owns the land. But apparently, they're super happy to show off their nuclear bomb crater. Well, I mean, it's fucking a nuclear bomb. Yeah, yeah, right, it's right. Probably really dope. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's it really does look like a pond now because it's been filled in with water. Um, but you can Google Mars Hill atomic bomb and you'll pull up some great uh, newspapers from the time. You'll see the pictures of the hole. Uh, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting. Um, and this was obviously really widely known. It's hard to cover something like this up. And really, even though it was human incompetence, there was no really serious damage. No one died. Um, and there were the, they were the, the bomb itself was in no danger of actually being detonated on the nuclear scale. So this was, this was not hidden. Everybody knew what happened. Everybody knew kind of the deal with this. Now, the second story I want to talk about is something that was really covered up until about three years ago. Um, this also occurred in, in a small town, but was even scarier than the previous uh, than the previous story because I think this is the closest we have come to a nuclear bomb act- actually ever detonating on uh, on domestic soil. So on January twenty fourth, nineteen sixty one, so a few years later, a B fifty two bomber was making routine drills around the North Carolina area. Poor Carolina. I know, dude. I know. They had two of them. Um, they were based out of the Seymour Johnson Air Force Base in Goldsboro, North North Carolina. Um, so while we're refueling in the air, uh, the crew of eight was re- informed that they were leaking gas out of their right wing. Um, so thinking that it was only a minor leak, the crew flew into a holding pattern over the coast in order to kind of assess the situation and see what was going on and uh, and kind of burn some gas uh, and make their landing. What they found out was far, far worse than a minor leak. In the course of three minutes, they lost 37,000 pounds of fuel. So this was not a leak. This was like a hole in their... Jesus. Yeah. Uh, So their only chance, their only real chance was to head back towards the base and try to make a crash landing. Uh, As they approached the base, the pilots could no longer keep control of the plane, and the crew was told to eject. Six of the crew members ejected... Uh, five of them made it to the ground safely and survived. One of them, um, unfortunately, did not survive ejecting from the plane. Um, the other other two pilots actually stayed in the plane to try to land it till the very end, and they died as well. Uh, so there were three casualties uh, because of this. Um, but at 9,000 feet... Have, could have been a lot Yeah, it could have been a lot worse. And you're about to find out why it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> Uh, at 9,000 feet above the ground, the B-52 began to kind of just break apart, and any chance of landing was just now gone. Uh, but this wasn't the bad part. This isn't the bad thing. It keeps getting worse. It's like the history of Russia. It yeah. can be summed up with the statement, it and then worse. it got worse. And then it got worse. <laughs> and then winter hit. Uh, uh, it got worse, dude. <laughs> but, the, but the really bad part was that the planes were carrying two Mark 39 hydrogen thermonuclear bombs on board damn it bob yeah there are plenty of brand new bombs <laughs> but you had to go for that retro 50s charm <laughs> uh, each each one each one of these bombs uh was capable of a three to four megaton explosion Kind of just in comparison, the Hiroshima bomb 
that was uh, the 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 Hiroshima bomb was point zero one megatons. Oh wow! Yeah, so, so that's like a kiloton. Yeah, yeah. So these were three to four megatons, um, and each one. Here's the real kicker: each one had its nuclear core. Uh, as the plane broke apart, the bombs fell towards the earth. One of the bombs parachute deployed because there's a parachute that's attached to the bomb that deploys when it's armed because the bomb itself is made to explode before it hits the ground. That's where it gets the new. That's where it gets maximum effect is when it explodes above the air or in the air above the ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, uh, one of the bombs parachutes deployed, signaling that at least some of its arming mechanisms had been activated. The other one fell into a muddy patch of farmland at 700 miles per hour. Fuck. Uh, so this is kind of where we have some idea of the scope of the damage. We really, really get an understanding of just how close we were to uh, two nuclear missiles exploding on, on domestic soil in 2013. So in 2013, the Freedom of Information Act gave us real insight into, the, into like really what happened. Um, the bombs themselves were partially armed in the plane already before it started losing fuel. Uh, and this was just kind of common practice from kind of the information I gathered. gathered. This, was, this was just something that they, that they did and uh, they were pre-armed but they weren't they still had you know to go through a bunch of steps to actually be kind of considered hot. Um, yeah. Each each bomb required four switches to be activated in order for the bomb to be hot. We knew right away based on the fact that the parachute deployed that at least some of the switches had be had been activated in one of the bomb. But in 2013, it was found that the fourth and final switch was the one that had remained in the safe position and had kept the bomb from exploding. Jesus Christ. We were one switch away. The dude. second bomb came even closer to going off. How could it be closer? Listen. Was it half turn? Listen. Was the switch half? Listen. The second this the, when the second bomb hit the ground at 700 miles per hour, the impact armed the device. Oh my god. But it also destroyed a component that halted the explosion. Dude. Fucking Christ. There's a primary source of a the 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 um, someone that was digging up the the bomb from because it had been like 20 feet underground a lot, a lot of the components of it. There's actually still some components of the bomb that haven't been uncovered because the ground is is so uh, muddy and they just can't get to it. Um, but he said one of the guy he was he was in charge of making sure that the bomb got uncovered and seeing over that and one of his guys said we found the arming switch and he said oh thank god and the other one said no it's in the armed position oh my god yeah so it was if that if it ha- if that component had not been destroyed it would have exploded dude it was it was a live hot bomb that just thankfully some of its components got destroyed do we have any idea what like the the reaches of that would be? Yeah, so uh, there are. I I, I pulled up. Um, I found some kind of numbers, and okay. based on population in North Carolina at that time period, it would be roughly twenty thousand people would have died, oh, and twenty thousand people would have suffered effects of it. Whether it be okay. fallout or whether it be damages, you know, to the buildings that they were in or whatever it may be, so twenty thousand injuries, twenty thousand de- twenty thousand people dead. 
is what is at the time period roughly around there but the because of the size and intensity of the bombs it would have forever changed what north carolina looked like it would have created a crater that would have been able to be seen from space huh because if if, if both bombs had gone off well real quick steven yeah so the assignment for this week was to pick a place a small place that had a big impact on history. I thought it was a small, small place that made uh, that made like net, like global history. So you picked two places, yeah, that almost really <laughs> no, dude. No, listen, l- listen. No, Mar- Mars Hill, Mars Hill, South Carolina. That was nat- that was national history because that but, was like openly like, known about that. But that- like it, I mean, like it almost did though, like. No, but nothing it did, bad happened. But nothing so, like, bad happened. Nothing but still, changed. but still, there are newspaper articles from like the day it happened or the day after it happened that said United States accidentally drops a nuclear bomb on South Carolina town. I mean, but like it didn't go off. Okay, Dave, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I still argue that it made fucking national news, though. I mean, it made news, but like you know. I'm just sitting here with my Falkland Islands, and you said, no, I'm going to pick two places, and neither of them changed history. Whatever, fuck you. The Falkland Island Island War was not a real war. <laughs> it's not a real war, but come on, dude. Every single week, you fucking <laughs> beat me into the ground a little bit more. I mean, you're the one who breaks the rules. I don't You've break the, the fucking rules. rules. So many times. You just fucking pick pick it apart. Pick it apart. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, those are good fucking scrolls, and I didn't know about those, and that's scary as shit. And there was great stories. Um and I loved them. And I love you, and I love your face, and I want to kiss you uh-huh. on the lips. Uh-huh. But like you broke the rules. I just fucking break the rules. The <laughs> rules were not very were not very specific. Okay. Okay, I'll give you that. We were, were very vague. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we were. But but this is not what I understood the rules to be. Well, I'm sorry this wasn't what you understood the rules to be. Okay. You know what I you know what I do if one of my students said I don't I didn't understand this is what the rules to be, I would say tough luck. This is what yeah, the rules are. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. No, but those uh, were good stories, dude. Thanks, man. You want to know something even scarier? What? We have, like, a dozen unaccounted for nuclear bombs. Dude, there's some because, fucking guy in some lair somewhere. No, no, no. Because, listen, uh, we have, like, a dozen that were, like, on submarines that just, like, sunk. Fuck. <laughs> we have, like, nuclear bombs that are just, chi- like, chilling underwater. Dude, fuck it. That's what I gotta say. Yeah. I mean, we're never, Fuck like, it. we're, like, never gonna find those, but... <laughs> they'll find... Don't worry. They'll find us. They'll find us. Don't worry, man. They will find us. But, uh... Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, yeah, some good scrolls, dude. I, uh, I knew about the Mars Hill thing. I didn't know about the second one. I kind of stumbled upon that while I was doing research for Mars Hill. And that's oh, really? why I wanted to include it. But, uh... But yeah, man, I th- I think it's it's pretty fucking scary. Yeah, it's pretty fucking. Woo! Yeah, but enough about nuclear weapons. Uh, should we talk about the topic for next week? 
the next week's topic is going to be the Olympics. Yes. So we are really, really bad about not doing his doing episodes that correspond with things that are going on in like the actual real dollars to God world. Uh, we miss Valentine's Day. We miss Halloween. We miss Christmas. We miss New Year's. Uh, we didn't miss New Year's. We did eighteen fifteen a year in review. That's right. We we missed. Um fourth of july we did but we decided since the olympics are going on we're going to do an olympics episode uh so we are each going to be telling a story from an olympics uh game from a, a year of the olympics yeah and if if it's not long enough we might do two i guess because like some of them can be yeah you know um well, well, but we'll, we're, yeah. we're i'm gonna say that we can't talk about um Jesse Owens in Hitler. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And we cannot talk about uh, Miracle on Ice. Oh, I want to talk. That's like my favorite story. Yeah, we won't talk about Miracle on Ice. Yeah, because everybody knows about Miracle on Ice. Like, dude, it's so fucking good. I watched a thirty for thirty on Miracle on Ice from the Russian perspective. How was that? Oh my god, it was good as fuck. 30 for 30 is amazing. If you like sports, yeah, yeah. you need to watch every fucking Even if you don't 30. like sports, 30 yeah, for 30 is for really real. good. It's just, just like, like real, yeah. the best documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, then they have some like non-sports ones, too. Like some non-super sporty ones. Yeah, like they're all based like around the idea of sports, but some of them are like... There was one I watched, it was about how athletes like get poor after they retire, and that mm-hmm. one was really interesting. Mm-hmm. So... But anyway, yeah, uh, so Steven, so Olympic Games. Olympic Games next week. So thanks for listening, guys. Oh, Remember, not yet. Go, go five-star review us, because we were going to read one, but then you didn't leave any. Well, you don't so. have to. I mean, give us the review we th- you think we deserve. No, give us five stars, give and us, we'll read it on air. Yeah, rate, We'll read whatever you write. Like, rate, you could write anything. <laughs> we'll read it. Uh, but, but anyway. Yeah, so rate and review on iTunes. I'm, this is like a perfect segue into my plugs. Oh, God. So uh, we are on iTunes. Just type in Bad History onto the uh, podcast searcher of your choice, and uh, you can find us on there on iTunes. You rate and review, subscribe, all that jazz. Podbean, badhistorypodcast.podbean.com. You can subscribe on there as well. Uh, and you can download all of our episodes as MP3s from there. And uh, yeah, just check us out on there. Facebook, Bad History, Twitter, at Bad History Podcast, or at Bad History Cast on Twitter. Oh my God, I don't even know anymore. Uh, Twitter, at Bad History Cast. Email I'm us. not even paying attention. Good. I don't need your negativity today, Dave. <laughs> Uh, email us at badhistorypodcast at gmail.com uh, love getting emails love replying to emails having good conversations that's always a good thing uh, you're on like every other we're on like a shit ton of other directories too Google Play Music TuneIn Radio uh, Stitcher the works but I think that's it for my plugs find us all the there the works alright uh, so do those things or not whatever yeah uh, uh. Anything else? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I just think you know, I'm I'm happy to be getting back to the groove of things. I feel like we we were kind of a little rough there for a little bit. With uh, we it's both had a busy summer. It's, it's only going to get rougher. It's only going to get rougher for both of us. But we're going to get into a groove, and we'll keep releasing good episodes. And hopefully, you'll keep listening if you keep nope. liking it. 
but but yeah, I just want to say thanks for listening, guys. Uh, as always, thank you so much for your support and all this, and it really means a lot. And uh, I think that's it for me. Happy history and good scrolls. Goodbye. Guys.